Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Anthony Carey with me. Anthony is the CEO of Function First Designs. He is the inventor of Cortex, a next-generation fitness and training equipment used by the NFL, MLB, NBA, and Premier League term teams. Sorry, welcome, and uh, thank you for being here, Anthony. My pleasure, George. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me, tell me, please, how you got the idea to to develop something like the Cortex? Well, first of all, I'd like to say if you hear a little bit of noise in the background, I apologize because that's actually people working on the Cortex right now. Um, but it, it started a long time ago. Uh, you know, I'm in the fitness industry, and for a long time, I've started to realize that part of what we were doing was a little bit too uh, front-to-back, what we call uniplanar, meaning that the body was only working in a linear fashion. And uh, I was standing one day in a squat rack and getting ready for a workout, and I realized I wanted to see my hips and my ankles and my knees move a little bit differently, and I had this vision of a skateboard in a bowl. And that eventually led us to where we are today, which was the design of the cortex and uh, and the motion that it creates and how it helps the body. So what is it about a skateboard and a bowl that intrigued you? Well, it was a completely unique motion that kind of facilitated changes at the angles of the joints, at the knees, the ankles, and the hips specifically, and then that eventually worked its way up into the spine as well, if you're standing on it, but there's many different positions you can get into. But it's really something that wasn't available. There's nothing else out there that did it, and it, uh, it, it helped the body get to places that it wasn't doing very well on its own, and that we as an industry were not providing the proper stimulus for that. So um, that's that's where it started, and you know nobody else had done it, and there was nothing else out there like it. And I just thought, wow, we we could make this happen. So you said that you've been thinking about this for a while. Can you give us an idea? I mean, what what year were you starting to think about this, uh, the cortex? Well, this was <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm I'm a little embarrassed to admit how long I had it as an idea before we actually you know took substantial steps to move forward. But I I would say that I I had the idea. Um, in the late 90s, and then uh, for several years, my partner and I, who was a, a very good friend of mine and a, a teammate in college, who's an engineer, we just on weekends we would tinker around with some you know ideas as far as uh, proof of concept, and uh, and it took us a while. Um, we finally got a patent uh, after we figured out exactly how we could make it work. We got a patent, and then it was still a few years after that before we actually went to manufacturing. So give me an idea of those very early days, building that prototype, testing it. What was that experience like? What, we, what did you learn from that experience? Well, we learned that um, proof of concept is important. And, and getting, you know, having a great idea that seems like a great idea to you um, may not be a great idea to everybody else. So while you don't want a bunch of people stepping on your dreams – you still want to get some feedback from others. So, you know, early on we were wise enough to get a, you know, get a non-disclosure that we had people sign, and, and we shared the idea with people that we thought would be able to provide us with some pretty um, beneficial feedback um, in terms of the viability of the product, both functionally and economically in the market, and, uh, you know, see if they thought that 
this had a chance and that sort of thing. And of course, we the more we played with it, the more we showed it to people, the more feedback we got, the more uh, invested we became, both um, emotionally and financially, in making this making it work. So. Uh, once we got to that part, you know, the weekends and everything, it was a lot of fun trying to figure out the best way to do it and, and how we could uh, how we could improve upon the product and what we expected it to do and that sort of thing. Give me an idea of the early feedback that you got. And this was, I would imagine, the prototype that you had. Was it all good? Was it all bad? Was I mean, what 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 were people telling you that kept you going? Well, we we did get a little negative feedback and. Um, some of that was that, uh, you know, the early prototype, because we didn't have the handrail with it and that sort of thing, um, some people thought it was too advanced or too dangerous. And, you know, we realized that a lot of things are, are like that. So we, we did get some negative feedback in that respect. Uh, we had some, uh, you know, we had some, I have a, a mentor, which I recommend to everybody who is extremely successful in our industry, who, um, uh, is the person that I look to for the most in, in terms of guidance. And, and early on, he was somebody that saw the benefits of it and understood it. Um, you know, I, I think when you get negative feedback, you have to run it through your personal and professional filter and see, you know, also understand where this, where the other folks are coming from. Do they have enough information? Are they looking at it through a singular lens? And we still get that today, and what I mean by that is because of the motion of, the, of what the Cortex does, a lot of people just look at it as an advanced balance board, and it's so far from that. But when they, that's the only lens that they have on when they look at your product or your service, um, that's all they see. And so as a, as a business owner and, and, a, and an inventor, part of my responsibility within the marketing message is for people to see the advantages way beyond just what they see as the obvious thing you would do with it. Describe the Cortex for those of, I mean, obviously this is audio, so people can't see it. They can go to cortexfitness.com to check it out. But before they do that, I want them to listen uh, to this audio. And describe it to, to the listener. What, what is Cortex? How does it work? What does it do? Well, it's, it's a, imagine a, a bowl with a lid on the top. So that, the lid on the top is your platform, and that bowl sits in another ring that has a ser three ball transfers that, kind of, uh, that the bottom of the bowl sits on. And in the middle of the, the bottom of the bowl is a center dowel, and that's your safety piece. So what happens is if you imagine a bowl sitting in almost another bowl, but the bottom bowl has wheels in it, the, the top bowl can, will tilt sideways so if there was water on top the water would run off to one side but at the same time the bowl can also slide across a certain distance on the other bowl and then because they're they're both round it, it rotates unrestricted in a 360 degrees so you can imagine if somebody's standing on it it's it's uh it is like an advanced balance board but because of the size of it um which it's about 30 uh 30 inches across in diameter that people can lay on it. You can do a lot of upper body activities with your hands on it and your feet on the floor, and there's multiple positions you can zoom it in. So the value to the, to the end user is the fact that it creates all this variability in both their musculoskeletal system as well as their nervous system or our software. So, for example, if you were doing a push-up, George, and you did 10 push-ups on the floor, but you did 10 push-ups on the cortex, the 10 push-ups on the cortex would be like 10 different exercises. Okay. Uh, I have an exercise ball. I use it in my office. I sit on it, and you know I think it's great. But when I look at the Cortex, I feel like 
I could do things on the cortex I couldn't do on the exercise ball. And I'm not trying to turn this into a commercial, but I mean, there is no way I could stand on, on that exercise ball unless I worked for Cirque du Soleil or something. So, Correct. you know, I can, I can see myself do a, a variety of different workouts uh, that would build, you know, work my core, but not, uh, I couldn't do on, on an exercise ball. Were you thinking about that or, or does that come into the equation at all? It, it does because we spend and, and, the, and exercise balls are great and we use them in my studio as well. Um, but they are, you know, they're round and they're squishy. And the difference between the cortex is the top is flat and hard, which therefore mimics closer to what the ground is that we're on on a regular basis. So in terms of the expectations of the body, um, at, at a certain level, there's advantages to that. And, and, of course, the cortex you can lift up and put on a table. And, as I said, you can lay on it. And there's a bunch of different things you can do in that respect, too. So I want to ask you about patenting and, and manufacturing. Did you have a patent before you went into manufacturing? What is your recommendation on the order of those things uh, when you have a product that you want to create? I, would, I absolutely recommend getting a patent, uh, if not uh, a pending patent. Um, especially if you're going to manufacture uh, outside of the United States, if you're going to go abroad for your manufacturing, which unfortunately is a, is a reality now just because of cost uh, for a lot of us. Um, we personally, we have some of it, some of the parts are manufactured in the U.S., some of the parts are manufactured uh, overseas. But either way, you know, the U.S. in almost every market is the largest, and particularly in our market, in the fitness market and, and physical therapy market that I use is, is by far the largest market. So there was no question that we were going to make sure that we had the, uh, and, and what's called, there's, there's two kinds of patents. There's a utility and there's a design patent. And the utility patent is a much stronger patent because it, it doesn't just cover sort of the look or the design, but it also covers the, what it can do or, or the utility of, of the piece that you're applying for. So we get broad, very broad claims on it, meaning that we're very well protected. And we, as I mentioned earlier, that was something we did a couple years before we actually went to manufacturing because we wanted to make sure that we had the protection and, and nobody else was going to be able to um, sort of take our idea of what we did. And, and that's, you know, the reality of it. So getting a good intellectual property attorney is a, is a must. Now, can you give us an idea of going from prototype to product? What was that process like? How long did it take? What were some of the challenges? Well, I think, you know, every situation is going to be a little bit different. If you, if you have the financial resources, you have, excuse me, 100% focus on that product and, and that's what you're going to do. You know, it certainly can be expedited a lot faster. For me, it was still running my other business. And as I mentioned, kind of it was a weekend and evening sort of thing and um, trying to get because my my partner, who is a brilliant engineer, um, but he's not in the in fitness industry and, and didn't see the vision up, up front that I did, took him a little while to get on board. So but what we did is we, we had a proof of concept. And that means that we, you know, through tinkering around the garage with plywood and, and a fan base and we took, you know, we took pieces and parts of different things and we said, OK, we can see that it works, and from there we we put together, or he put together the the appropriate CAD drawings, and and then we um, fortunately for me he's already uh, in manufacturing, so we had a lot of uh, shortcuts in that term. If we had to go through the entire process, if I personally had to go through the entire learning curve and process of of sourcing out manufacturing and and uh, how you get design done and all that, it it would have taken us longer. So that was 
that was a huge benefit to us. Uh, but once we did have the the working or the proof of concept, then what we did is we got uh, some working prototypes from our manufacturer. And so this is where they kind of make you just you know a handful, whether it's one or five of your product, which are very expensive when you're only getting a couple made like that. But now you have something tangible that's almost the end product, and now you get to play around with that a little bit and fine tune things a little bit more. And then when you're when you've had that opportunity, you can send back some minor changes to the manufacturer, and then then you pull the trigger on on the full blown manufacturing run for for quantity of product. Are you still working with the same manufacturer or 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 not from from the beginning? We are. We're still working with the same manufacturer, and I, as I said, because of my uh, my partner's experience and history with manufacturing, we have we're very happy, fortunately, with our manufacturing partner overseas, and, and they've been uh, very supportive of us, very trustworthy, and we have a great relationship with them. And, and, and I know that's not true for everybody. There's a lot. Of yeah, people. I mean, you hear stories uh, all the time when you know people are on the second or third manufacturer for one reason or the other. So it sounds like a kind of a really unusual story, but I mean, it's, it's great. Talk about some of the challenges of introducing something entirely new to the market. Because uh, the Cortex is is something entirely new. Uh, it's almost like you have to educate people the, before they can buy your product. Uh, how How is that experience? Well, that's very well said because if, if any of the folks that are listening familiar with fitness in general, there's been a big a shift in uh, sort of the, the overall paradigm. So exercise pieces of equipment have become simpler in a lot of ways, which which means that they can do more as opposed to, say, a leg extension machine in the gym where it's a very uh, highly engineered piece, but it does pretty much one thing, and, it's, and we call those idiot-proof, <laughs> meaning that you can just pretty much look at the picture, get on there, and do it. Okay, but it costs several thousand dollars for a piece of equipment that has a big footprint and does one thing. Now when you look at a lot of the different equipment, they do a bunch of stuff. They're less expensive, but if there's not education around it, um, people will use it for one or two things, and therefore it doesn't, it doesn't seem as valuable as you might think. So uh, introducing something new to the market is continues to be something that we have to work on in educating our potential customers and, and with the branding, and it, it's not easy. Uh, the advantage that we had, because our, our first market that we go to is, is the fitness and then the physical therapy, and then there's some, some other smaller markets that we're in as well, but you know, fortunately, I'd been in the fitness industry for many years and, and had had the opportunity to, to teach and present across the, around the world, actually. So there's, there was a little bit of uh, validation brought to the product because of, uh, of me, um, which I say humbly. Um, but at the same time, there's still so many people that haven't heard of it or don't quite understand it. And so we've, you know... You've got to market it a certain way, you're, uh, the branding that you're doing, and, and then you've got to be present at a lot of uh, events and trade shows and give people a chance to touch, feel, and see what it does. So uh, how important is it to get the NFL, MLB, NBA, and you know, other types of teams to use your product? And what is the process of, of, of getting there? Well, for us, it was... Um, you know, it wasn't like we went out and knocked on doors. Fortunately for us, uh, some of the guys uh, from the NFL and, and whatnot have seen us at trade shows, so for their specific industries, for the strength and conditioning coaches and the athletic trainers, and they love the product. And, um, you know, 
they saw the value and, and they want the best for their athletes, so they were able to get it. Uh, it's not easy to get things in with Major League Baseball or football. You know, it, it's an individual choice made by uh, by the, the staff and the, if they see the value of it. And, you know, that's different than, a, you know, Gatorade or Reebok or somebody going in there and spending millions and millions of dollars for sponsorship. So when, when you have, uh, you know, the best in the world using your product, there's no doubt that you want to let other people know that because that's third-party validation. And, and, you know, these these are people whose lives revolve around their body and they're worth millions of dollars. And uh, so for them to be able to use it and, and see the benefit of it is something that, that we're quite proud of. Um, and we hope it grows more and more as more and more of them find out about it. Now, who is your market? Is it, I mean, is the market the consumer or is it more professionals that, provide uh, services to individuals or teams? Yeah. Right now, currently with the model, it's what we would consider our commercial model, and that's something that would be used by professionals with either their clients or their athletes or their patients in a a physical therapy setting. Um, We are... Uh, we have in our business plan, and we're working towards a consumer model, which would be a smaller, less expensive, a little bit more um, simpler version of what we have that we would uh, that we eventually bring to the consumer market. Okay. Now, give me. I mean, so far it sounds like things have gone really well, but uh, you know there are always challenges. Can you give me a, a one of the biggest mistakes or the biggest mistake you made in in this business with the Cortex? I would I would say that uh, probably the biggest mistake and and it it was sort of a mistake but we kind of knew what was going on would be uh, you know and, and I've said this I'm actually uh, had the opportunity to speak on on this topic uh, for certain several magazines and and uh, you know I think the biggest mistake that any of any of us can make is the fact that we put our heart and soul into the development and manufacturing of the product and and get it looking pretty and doing everything we want to do and then we put in our order and 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 think that okay you know now the money's just going to come flooding in and in reality it, you're it's it's just a new beginning because now it's a full time full-time responsibility to market this thing and and sell it and educate your your potential consumer who's going to use it so you know not setting aside the right budget and funds and time uh, for what you need to do can be a huge mistake and 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 we fell into that trap a little bit it was such a big deal getting the product actually manufactured well it felt like such a big accomplishment anyway that uh, you know we had some catalog companies that were gonna that had it and we just thought that meant the orders were gonna pour in and in reality it's it's that's just the start and they're just they're just one um, you know they're just one part of the puzzle you've got to do a lot of it and they're counting on you to do a lot of it so the whole marketing part of it and promotion is ongoing and full-time it's almost like the book publishing business people think if they got a publisher to publish their book, then the publisher will sell the book. But really, it's up to the author to do the selling, isn't it? It's exactly, it's exactly the same. I've had that same experience on that side of things as well. So, so right now, today, how do you market the Cortex? What is your your growth strategy or marketing strategy? Well, both uh, domestically and internationally, you you have what are called distributors. So they're your your catalog companies and your websites that that sell multiple products and and they help promote you through their 
through their print and and web based marketing, and they get they get a certain margin for that. Um, we also do some print and up and obviously lots of social media stuff, uh, which is inexpensive. And then and the biggest cost is actually the trade shows. And um, and we so we have a sales team along with you know myself. Often we go to these trade shows, and and because people will see. The, see what the Cortex does on the video, and they'll say, well, that's pretty neat. Well, they'll see it in pictures first, and they'll say, hmm, I wonder what that does, see the video. Oh, that makes more sense. But then when they get on it, it's an exponentially different experience. So that's still part of what we need to do because it's a very tactile, it's a very kinesthetic piece of equipment, which means that people need to experience it. So the trade shows and, and the travel that's associated with that uh, around the country, um, you know, Getting the booth and and getting people on it and that sort of thing is a big part of it, um, and and from there, as at the same time, we're also working on uh, you know commercial fitness equipment retail outlets. So here in San Diego, you know, we have things like Busybody and 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 there's you know groups of stores like that throughout the country that also uh, sell people either to small fitness facilities or to, to people that want a little bit more commercially based equipment in their home gyms and that sort of thing. So essentially it's, it's multiple irons in the fire at all times and, okay. and, it, and it's ongoing. So let's talk about fulfillment. How do you handle it? Is it, is it done in-house? Do you have a fulfillment house? What issues have you had uh, with uh, order fulfillment? You know, the, what we've ended up doing initially, we tried to do it a little bit in-house, and um, and it, you know, just as volume grows, it's it's something you need a you need professionals to do. So we use a fulfillment company uh, here in San Diego. Um, we bring our product in in from overseas to the port of Long Beach, comes down to the fulfillment place in Poway, and you know they just do a great job. We get an order, um, or our distributor needs a certain amount of product, uh, we send it to them. You you know you certainly pay for their services but at the same time they get discounts on on shipping charges because of the volume that they do they do a great job of tracking everything um and and you know when you get reports every month how much went out and where and all that sort of thing so you know you can start out at home or or out of a out of your garage or or try to do it yourself and have ups and, and depending on the size of the product and the volume that you're doing but you know so many it's just one of those things that uh would eat up a bunch of our time that it's well worth it to pay somebody else who does it well. And because they're doing a lot of other things, they're very efficient at it, and, and the cost per piece is not that high. Now, can you give us an idea of how many Cortex, uh, Cortexes you sold over the years? We've sold um, – I'd have to find out the, the numbers that we've just finished uh, last year with and, and well, even – in the Q1, but uh, we're, we're probably somewhere around 12 to 1,400 uh, units, which when, when people hear that number, some people say, wow, that's a lot. Other people say, wow, that's not that many. And uh, there has, because of, uh, of the numbers, the way we started out, uh, you know, there's, we've seen about each year back and forth between 20 to 30 percent growth. Uh, to get to the numbers that we need to get at, and, that, and those numbers include uh, international and domestic. Um, but you're looking at a, you know, you're looking at a, a $700, um, $700 product. So it's not like people are buying ten of them at a time for uh, different places. We're not hugely expensive, but it's more than buying a Bosu ball or a foam roller or a stability ball like you're sitting in, which you can get sitting on, which you can get for 
you know, $19 in some places. Okay. Now, uh, give us an I mean, you know, owning your own business is kind of a roller coaster, right? There are a lot, a lot of ups and downs. How do you deal with that as a business owner? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I do my best. Uh, I've, I've been, I've owned my other business now for, for 20 years, the fitness studio. And so it's the same thing. We've had a lot of ups and downs. Um, you got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe in your team. You've got to believe that you're uh, that you're doing the right things, and you, you know, you got to seek advice from your, from your mentors and your financial advisors for certain things, and you know, you got to keep your eye on the, eye on the prize, the main objective, uh, even if that means that you get bumped off course every once in a while a little bit. But um, there's no question, there's ups and downs, and there's some days you think, wow, are we going to make it? And there's other days you're like we're killing this thing and, and we're going to kill it. But all, overall, I have so much passion about the product and what, we, what it does and, and its benefits um, that, you know, it's, it's not the product itself. It, it is being a better entrepreneur and, um, you know, executing what needs to be executed upon as an entrepreneur to really make, really make it to the uh, next tell, level. Tell, tell me, what, what was the greatest high that you had with the Cortex, as a, either as a business or as a product or as a personal accomplishment? I, I think probably the, there was a couple. Um, you know, certainly the, the first time that we took it to a trade show um, where we, you know, some of the most influential people in the industry were coming by and, and this tremendous amount of interest in it. Uh, that first time, that first show, we were we were pretty you know, pretty excited about that. Um, you know, another another one was um, where we saw Kelly Slater, the world's greatest surfer, using it. That was pretty cool. Um, and then another time was that uh, just last year, the the largest publication in the United Kingdom uh, had us written up as one of the top ten fitness trends for for the year, and had pictures of us, and it was all over all over the UK magazines and 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 their website and. Uh, because of our affiliation with the Virgin Active Clubs over there. What's the name of the uh, the magazine or uh, the, the publication? The Metro. The Metro. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me, uh, I, you know, either in your own business, uh, but but maybe even other businesses that that you know in your own network. What do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs? It's <sighs> a good question. Um, I think sometimes. For for me, it, uh, I would say it, it, it gets caught up a little bit uh, too much of the tactical stuff, and I, this probably sounds uh, familiar, um, and not enough of the st strategy stuff, where we should be delegating more of the tactical stuff to people, and, and we've gotten better at that. Um, but you know, returning a phone call that that somebody else could return for you, um, same with emails and that sort of thing. Uh, I think really when you you want to do it because it makes you feel like you're in touch and, and, and checking something off your your task list. But uh, in reality, it's something that somebody else could be doing where strategically um, I could be, be doing, having a lot more influence on the company. And I, I think sometimes we just get we get drawn to little things like that that are tiny little victories over the course of the day, which are, are nice for our ego, but they're not great for the business in the long run. Okay. If you would start uh, Cortex all over, what would you do differently? 
I think well, I, I think I would have done more research and and understood the uh, funding market better. So we're we're still in the process of of wanting to get some outside funding to further grow the business. And I think that and I'm and it's a huge learning curve for me because it's so outside my wheelhouse and and I'm getting help with that and coaching and that sort of thing. But but overall, I think I would understand that and run that course parallel with the business as we launched it. You know, we came out just as the financial crisis was was full bo- was just full blown, you know, affecting everybody and even thinking about trying to get people to invest in you at that point. But even if I did, I didn't understand the game enough. So now I have a better understanding and and we are moving towards that, but it, it's a, you know, it, it's so foreign to anything that I've really had to to study in depth that um, there, there's a big learning curve for me. So I would have spent more time understanding what it means to, to communicate with investors, to present to investors, um, to know what investors are looking for, and that sort of thing. If, if a, a, a good friend came to you or maybe even somebody from your family that has a job now but wants to be an entrepreneur, what would be the first thing that you would teach that person? Uh, to gauge their timelines um, with, with a dose of reality and, and give themselves a little bit of cushion um, for whatever they were thinking of doing. So if they were thought they were going to start a business in a month, I'd, I'd have them really look at what it, where, where it was, they needed to be and what they needed to do in what time frame to actually start making money and, and cover their costs and their expenses. I think a lot of people get into it and they think starting a business means immediate income generation and and they don't allow for the time that's that they need to to ramp up into a full-blown revenue generating business and um, and by setting realistic expectations in their timeline they won't be disappointed they won't be discouraged and, and they may not throw in the towel too early they can they just, but they've got to have that those expectations and and, and of course the uh, the cushion financially to to lean on until they get to that point. Do you have uh, maybe a favorite book that helped you with your business over the years? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, probably there's probably not a single book. Um, there's there was a, there's a couple things, and although he does have a book, uh, I'm trying to think of the author's name. Um, Michael Gerber and the E Myth. Um, a lot of your folks are probably familiar with that. I'm sure you are. Uh, you know that that was that's always been, um, and I listened to it more than once. It's a, it's really a, the same thing that's in his book, but I've listened to it on 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 disc. Uh, that it changes your mindset. You know, he talks about the E Myth, meaning that it's it, it, the entrepreneur myth, and that we you know we tend to be technicians instead of true business people, and and that was very true for me. Being somebody that's in the fitness industry, the next step was to own my own, either my own business or start my own product. And, you know, instead of thinking strategically about the business, you're just in doing it every day. And uh, that was a tremendous resource to just switch your mindset a little bit and think about. And and the exercises that he takes you through and, and that sort of thing is was very valuable early on to just think differently about being in business. I want to ask you about maybe the... The, the 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 future five ten years from now and the cortex if you could draw it what would it look like well 
in five years, I, I would like to think that we're a part of uh, you know a standard piece of, of equipment that you see in health clubs throughout the world. And equally, it'll be in every physical therapy re rehabilitation uh, place throughout the country and, and internationally as well. And, and you know that's all part of it. And then w this consumer version, though, um, within the next five years, will be developed, and uh, you might see that on TV. Uh, you're certainly going to see it um, in your, you know, your dick sporting goods, your sports chalets, and that sort of thing. And it'll be one of those pieces of equipment that people have in their home, and and they can do so many things on it and slide it under the bed as well. So we we really feel like if you can make exercise fun and engaging for people, that that's part of the process, and and the Cortex does that. So uh, we see, you know, with a little bit a little bit of kickstart with uh, some funding literally see three, four, five hundred percent growth um, within the next five to ten years, both internationally and domestically. Now, is is this consumer version would be something that would fit with a, like a Kickstarter or something along those lines? Or have you considered anything like that, the yes. crowdfunding option? Yes, and, and, you know, that's one of the other, you know, branches to this learning curve that I, I'm having looking at funding and, and what – what kind of things you want, with, what, what they're looking for, and what's acceptable to put up on their sites, and, and we and we actually even have a, a third, you know, third application besides just the consumer version for this. We we also see this technology actually to be something that we can put into a seat, on a smaller a smaller version of it, and you put it at the seat of a chair, and uh, and instead of sitting on a ball, is that it can be active sitting. Where you're using your, where your hips can move in those different directions, you can still have a backrest if you want it, and so that's a whole nother aspect of the business that we should be tapping into in in that five-year mark as well. Wow, that actually sounds really revolutionary, and I'd love to I'd love to see that and try that when you when you have something. Do you, do you have any less words of wisdom to share or? You know, maybe even encouragement for people that either want to take their business to the next level, or just to start a business. Well, I, I, I think there's there's two kinds of people that start businesses, and this is purely you know just my observation. But two kinds of people that start businesses. One is the person that just loves what they do so much, and they want to be their own boss, and they continue fixing cars or cutting hair or you know designing websites or whatever it is, and then you have the other kind of person that really sees, you know, just really looks at the spreadsheets and, and, and the P&Ls, and, and they see that opportunity, and, and they enjoy that side of it. And um, as long as you enjoy what you're doing, but you see where your shortcomings are, so if you just look at P&Ls and, and you have real no passion behind your business and it's that that at some point may be something that has you jumping from business to business and, and, and if you're somebody that's too engulfed in doing the day-to-day -day work and being a technician, um, there's probably a ceiling on on the success in terms of in financial uh, in the financial aspect of it. So I think there's a really sweet spot between understanding the numbers and understanding the strategy of business and having some passion for what you're doing as part of that business. And for me, it's, it's certainly helping people, and that's what we do, and, and people getting healthier and, and making exercise fun and productive. 
Uh, at the same time, the, the learning curve for me was, hey, you need to step back and look at your numbers a little bit more and, and understand that side of the business as well. There's a sweet spot in there, I think. So how can people connect with you? Uh, how can people find out more about uh, the Cortex? How can people demand the Cortex so their own gym carries at least a few of them to, to try? <laughs> I like that, George. Demand it. They should go in there and, and pound on the manager's desk and say, hey, we need a Cortex in here. But they can get uh, they can get plenty of information, videos, and and see who's using it, and and some of the some of the applications uh, of it at cortexfitness.com. And there's a bunch of there's links to so much of the media coverage that we've had as well. And um, you know there's here well, there, and it's in clubs around the country. It's it's not as where we want it everywhere yet. But uh, for example, some of the Equinox clubs are using it. And, California fitness clubs at Northern California are using it. Fit here in San Diego is using it, and a lot of smaller studios are using it around. But uh, you know, take a look at it and, and see what it does, and, and see the advantages, and um, and that's where they're going to be able to find all kinds of information about. It. And of course, we have a Facebook page as well. Well, thank you, Anthony. I appreciate you sharing this your story with us. And everybody, be sure to check out CortexFitness.com and demand to have a Cortex in your gym. <laughs> Or, or physical therapists everywhere because it's a great product and Anthony's a great, great guy. Thank you, Anthony. George, it was my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye.